<clears throat> My name's Ross, if we haven't met. Uh, it's good to be here together on a Friday morning, which is kind of strange, kind of unusual, but to just be reminded about uh, what God has done for us through the cross, through sending his son, Jesus. Thanks, Bindi, for sharing that story. Who'd have thought we could learn about the whole Bible in about four minutes? That's pretty cool. Uh, and good pictures, too. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, but it is interesting to, to know why we're here, that we talk about Easter and the cross. I'm going to pray now that God will help us to understand that and put on in our hearts so we might understand him better. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your son, Jesus, that we can know you, can know you for, and have certainty, and how knowing you changes who we are and how we live. Lord, thank you for allowing us, us to celebrate that today. We pray that you'd be with us now. Speak to us, Lord, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At Easter time, we do start to use a lot of lingo type language. There's the cross, uh, even the word Easter. There's this thing about Jesus dying on the cross, but he comes back to life. It's okay. But we kind of narrow it down to the most simplest, simplest form and use this sort of language. But there's a danger that we narrow Easter down so much that we just refer to it as the time of the cross, uh, that we might lose its meaning that it just becomes a symbol that if we don't know the story behind it it just becomes yeah just a part of religious sort of stuff kim and i struck this kind of thing last weekend kim my wife and i uh, went to gundawindi last weekend and as you do in country towns or any places you go you think you might check out the local scenery so what's the first thing you do you go to the information center Go to the information centre at Gundawindi, they tell you all these things to do, give you a bit of paper, the top 10 things to do, you can walk around the town and see. And you get the impression of what goes on in the town by seeing those things. Things like the top 10 things to do in Gundawindi. You can go and check out the pole by the river that measures the height of the floods. That's pretty cool. The centre medium strip up the centre of the road. It was very impressive, I must say. It's in the top 10. But the top thing to do in Gundawindi is to get your photo taken by a statue of a horse, a horse they call the Gundawindi Grey or Gunsin. Now this horse uh, was a successful race horse back in the early 70s, made a lot of money for its owners. Uh, but you need to, as soon as you walk in the information centre, they say, have you taken your photo with it yet? You've got to have your photo taken with Gundawindi Grey. Now, I'm not into race horses, and I'm not into horses at all, really. So the idea of going to get my photo taken by a statue of a horse doesn't really do much for me. Thinking, this is what Gundawindi's got to offer. Well, you know, might have second thoughts. But it's the story behind the horse that makes a difference. The horse is just a symbol. But what's going on behind the story? So you go through the rest of the the top 10 things to see in Gundawindi, and they say, here's the pub. There's one big pub in the main street. Uh, but this is the pub where the four guys got together, formed a syndicate, and decided to buy the horse back in the late 60s. Paid $1,300. They decided, we're going to buy this horse. See this shop in the main street. It's a pretty plain-looking shop. That was the shop that one of the owners had at the time. You get to the feel this whole town's revolving around this horse and its owners. But then you get the idea of, no, this is a symbol that battlers can make it big. These four guys, the shop owners, the farmhands, meet in a pub, decide to pay $1,300 for a horse that wins them nearly $300,000 at the time. So it's an encouragement. When the locals see the horse, they say, man, this is an inspiration 
to give it a go. Have a go. The little guy can make it big. The underdog can make it big. So that's what they see in the horse. When you understand that, you go, no, it's, it's more than a horse. So for us, when we see the cross, what are we seeing? What, are we, what is the significance for us? What's the meaning behind it? Is Jesus just the role model that be like Jesus, love the world, be kind to everyone, and you never know, you could be mocked and even killed for it. I mean, it doesn't quite sound like a good role model to me. It doesn't sound that inspirational. It doesn't really grab me. So how should we view the cross? What does it mean for our lives, not just remembering an event 2,000 years ago, but what's the significance of it today, the story behind it? This is where we pick up the story of Jesus talking to this religious guy, Nicodemus. And Jesus is going to explain to him what God is doing by sending Jesus and what he achieves through the cross. So we pick up that story, Jesus talking to the, this uh, religious man, Nicodemus. He says, look, I, I know you're special. I know you've been sent from God, but what is it about you? What is it about you? And Jesus answers in a couple of ways. But one of the ways we see in verse 16, where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, there's three significant things going on there. That God so loved, so loved the world, and that he showed his love that we might know love. There's a lot going on in just that single verse. So how does God so love the world? <clears throat> See, often we think about love, it's all about us, that I'm a lovely person that deserves your love. And we think that we need to make ourselves worthy and deserving of love. So we talk ourselves up, we try to earn people's love, and we play all sorts of games as we do that. You know, sometimes when I talk to people and try and impress them, I say to people, before I got into ministry, I was the CEO of a company, of an engineering, uh, mechanical engineering company. You kind of go, I stand back, a CEO of a company, engineering company, that sounds pretty good. It's just to say I was a self-employed motor mechanic, but it kind of like, you know, it doesn't have the ring to it. I do that to try and impress people, to try and get them to love me, to say I'm worthy of your love and acceptance and respect. I know you're looking at me like I'm the only one that does this, but I'm sure we all do this in some form or another. I mean, like when we go for the whole job interview thing, you've got to prepare a resume and sell yourself to get the promotion. I mean, think about how you sit down over the table, there's the um, human resources person asking you the questions. You sit down at the table, no, they say, tell us about yourself. Why should we employ you? Why should we make you a part of our company? So what do you do? You pull out your resume, the resume that's got all the certificates you ever got from all those training days, all the certificates you got from primary school, the encouragement awards in my case, because I never got any other certificates, all those sort of things to try and sell yourself on paper. And then you've got to you know, get in there quick. How can I sell myself? So I tell them all the good things that I've done, all the things I've achieved. I want to tell them about the good side of me. I've got references in there too. And I've only picked references to people who are going to talk about nice to me. I'm not going to put references to people that really know me. I'm not going to put my wife as a reference. She'll tell them what I'm really like and I don't want that. I'm just trying to sell myself to be good. But imagine you sit down at this table of the job interview and they say, you know, why should we make you a part of this company? And you pass out your resume 
and they just pick it up and throw it back in your face. So you go, oh, I've got to talk this up. So you start talking, they cut you off. They're not even going to let you say anything. In fact, they're not even going to phone up any of your references. But they lean over the table with open arms and say, we love you. We want to make you a part of our, our company. I mean, it's crazy. It's ridiculous that that would happen. But that's what God does. When we're sitting across the table from God, he says, well, why should I include you as part of my community, part of my family? And we pull out our reference and God throws it in. Our I don't want to see your reference. We start talking ourselves up. I don't need you to talk yourself up. I'm not even going to phone up your, your, your references. God says, leans over the table and says, I know your, your resume is dodgy. I know what you're going to say is exaggerated. But I love you. I love you unconditionally. It's not about your resume. It's not about you talking yourself up. It's all about God's love. God's love is so great that it goes around all that sort of stuff and says, I want you a part of my family. God reaches over that his love is so great. He so loved the world that he's not interested in your resume, but he reaches out. So what does this mean for someone like Nicodemus? Nicodemus, the religious guy. Because as far as religion goes, religion says that, you, that God loves me because I'm worthy. I'm the good guy. I'm worthy. I'm not like those people out there. I'm not like the Gentiles. I'm not like the immoral. I'm not like the corrupt. I'm not like one of those guys. God wouldn't like them. God likes me because of my religion. But what Jesus is saying is God's just not offering his love to the select. It's not God so loved the religious. God so loved the world that he loved all of the world. That God so loved Christians, that God so loved Muslims, God so loves those with politically different views to us or those who have different uh, sexual orientations to us. God so loved the world. That God so loved people who don't love him. God so loved people who don't even know him. God loves people who we find hard to love. God loves them. See, this, this love that Jesus is talking about from the Father is it's almost irrational to us. It's unreasonable to us that you, no matter who you are or what you've done, you are so loved by God, is what Jesus is saying. So loved by the Father. And the fact that God loves you so much, well, it might not change our circumstances of where we are, but it definitely changes who we are. It changes your life, radically changes your life. Because God not only talks about the love, but it's love in actions. Because we don't like empty words. We can all talk about love. We can all write the nice cards. But God's love is love in actions. He so loved the world that he showed his love by giving his son. He showed his love that he gave his one and only son. He's putting his love on display. But what does it mean that God would give his son as an act of love for us? I was thinking about this. One of the best way I could think of explaining is it. Uh, we're about to move into our new auditorium, hopefully a couple of weeks away. A new auditorium, they're going through all these certification uh, requirements. And one of them is to get uh, certified that we're fire safe. So we've got to show that we've got a plan in case there's a fire in, inside the auditorium and it's full of people, that we've got a plan to get people out. We've got like a thousand exit signs to show people where they are. The fire systems, the alarms and bells are going to go off and clear ways that the, the chairs are all 
locked together, excuse me. They're not going to fly everywhere and cause trouble. We've got the plan. Now, <coughs> excuse me. If it was in case of emergency, in case there was a fire and smoke filling the building in the middle of the service, I'd like to think that I'd be the one first at the door, holding the door open for all you guys to get out safe. There'll be an orderly manner. We'd be walking out and I'd be going, yes, come on out, probably have a smile on my face that I'll be even encouraging you to stay for morning tea after the service. I think I'd like to be doing that sort of thing. But in reality, if that building's filling up with smoke and fire, I'm going to be looking for my family. Where's my wife? Where's my kids? How can I get them in a safe place? How can I get them out? So in fact, I'd probably be the ones shouting and screaming, fire, fire, get out of here. I'd be the one pushing the chairs and pushing you guys out of the road to get my family out the door first because that's what's nearest and dearest to me. I wouldn't give them, I love you guys, but not as much as my family. It's like, I want them out. I wouldn't give up them for the sake of just holding a door open. But what Jesus is saying, that God would give up his only son for us. I don't know whether I'd do that, but God says he does it. He loves the world so much that he gives his only son. And Jesus is explaining through this to, to this guy Nicodemus what he's going to do through the cross. That God says when he gives up his son, it really gives him up. He's going to die. He's going to die the death that we deserve so we can be brought into this kingdom. So as Jesus talks to Nicodemus, the religious guy, religion is all about serving yourself, making yourself worthy, proving yourself worthy through your religion. This whole idea that somebody else would die for you is radical. That God so loved the world that he showed his love by giving his son for you because your resume is never going to be good enough to impress God, you're on the outer, as Bindi's book showed us, that we don't deserve God's love, but yet Jesus died on the cross, so you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear rejection. Jesus was separated from the Father, so we don't have to be separated from the Father. Jesus does it all. He gives it all. He sacrifices it all. Jesus even gives up his sonship so that even us can be called sons of God because he's died the death that we deserve. That we can be a part of the family so that we can know the love of the Father. God so loved the world that he showed his love through Jesus' death. So what does this mean for us? The fact that Jesus would die and even rise from the dead. What does this mean for us some 2,000 years later? How should God's love, shown through the cross, how should that change who we are now? Because it's much more than just remembering something that happened 2,000 years ago now, but it's thinking how it actually really changes who we are now, that God would love us so much that he would show his love for us so that we could know his love, that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, shall not perish but have eternal life. So when you believe in Jesus... This whole message about Easter, this catchphrase, the cross, it's much more than a symbol. It's much more than, you know, something we put on the wall. But it's the message behind what's going on. What it's saying is, if you trust in Jesus, you have a saviour. You have one that can bring you to the Father. You have one you can trust. 
as a saviour because he saves us. We also have one who we should call Lord. Lord as being the one we want to follow as his disciples. The one who now rules our life. And we don't like handing over the rulership of our lives. We don't like trusting somebody else with our stuff. But for Jesus, he's got your best interest at heart. Even to die for you, he's going to have your best interest at heart to bring you into that loving relationship. See, this is much more than a decision we make with our head, but it's actually experience we, we enjoy in our hearts, that we, that we live out this love, we know this love, we experience this love, that we're included in God's family for now and for eternity. And that changes who we are and how we live. So if you're here today and you haven't experienced this love that I'm talking about, Maybe you've had bad experiences through church, that when you've seen church, that it hasn't been this kind of love. Or when you've been to church, it's talked about like Nicodemus' story, like it's all about religion. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to be the right person for God to love you. Maybe it's those experiences that are holding you back from trusting Jesus. But to see the cross means to see Jesus and his great love act of love for you, great sacrifice for you, to know that you can trust him, that through the cross, that he's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can be your saviour. He's the only one you can trust for eternal life. That you can trust him to call him Lord because he wants the best for you, because he's given up his life for you. What else will he do for you to see you in the kingdom? And when you experience this love, it changes how you accept love in this world and receive love in this world and be disappointed by love in this world. So sometimes when it's hard to feel loved by those around us, when we're rejected, we're on the pushed outer, when we don't feel valued and the world offers us nothing to know that God so loved the world, God so loved me, that he's going to hold me close. Even when I feel far and rejected in the world, God is holding me close. That changes who I am and how I work through this world. It also shows how we can love others. If we experience this unconditional love, how can you love others now? People who are hard to love, people who are different to you. That if God accepted me when I was on the outer, I can accept those on the outer as well. That my love should be like his love in this world. God so loved the world, I should love this world in that sort of love, to want, wanting to see them to know Jesus, to be a part of his kingdom. I love being a part of a church that sees this played out and hear lots of stories that this goes on with. And I, I know Southside's got a long way to go, but I love hearing stories. And I asked this person to write down a few words for us uh, because he shared his story with me. I want to share you a few words from uh, somebody in our church. Uh, it was a longer version, which um, we might put up on our weekly email. I just want to read you a snippet of it. Uh, but this is one of our members' stories. He says, I struggle with depression and a form of OCD. I've had bad experience with churches in the past that involved things like poor attitudes towards mental illness. Since I started going to Southside, I've been delighted to find a warm and supportive environment at church and at growth group. It has been a deep source of encouragement to find sincere and caring believers who love Jesus and love each other. It has given me renewed hope for my future wherever the Lord takes me. It's great encouragement, isn't it? 
that we're not just talking about stuff you need to believe in your head, but it's stuff that's played out in actions. It's love. It's pointing people to Jesus, the great act of love. But it's living that out for us, that we love those around us. As God accepted us, we're accepting others. That we need to be a church that continues. If we're not that sort of church, we're wasting our time. Because that's what the cross is about. That's what Jesus' death is about. This is what his love is all about. I'm going to pray that we celebrate these things this Easter, not just a cross or a plus symbol, as somebody mentioned it to me the other day. Uh, but what it means, it's God's great act of love for us, that he showed his love, that we might know love. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you again for this day, for this time we're given to share together. We thank you for the cross and what it means. Lord, the horrific death you must have endured in our place because of love for us that you want to see us know God's love, experience God's love. You want to see us a part of your family. Lord, help us today to get our head around this, this sometimes irrational love that you pour out on us. It's undeserving. It's full of grace. But Lord, let us celebrate it. Let us live with joy because of it, not fearing rejection of the world, but celebrating your love for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.